Hello everyone, this is The Soft Pod and my name is Isabel Marshall. My name is Grace Hawthorne and welcome to this week's episode. It is a phenomenally exciting episode. Really exciting. We are so lucky to have an amazing guest today by the name of Paul Vasilev. Paul is the founder and head designer of his own brand of couture fashion, Paolo Sebastian, which you may recognise. Um, if you don't recognise the name, you would certainly recognise the designs. They're purely iconic and beautiful. Fairy tale, magical dresses that even if you don't want to get married, you want to wear. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> don't get married just to wear one of his dresses though. I'm sure like you can you can wear it to your birthday for sure. There are definitely other factors to consider. That's a f- good disclaimer. You look good really <laughs> dressed up. <laughs> so Paul is a young designer who lives in Adelaide, the same city that we live in. Paul started designing and creating clothes at the age of 11, which is wild and he has now turned that little idea into a international couture house which is incredible paul's clients are it's quite a humble list there are quite a few people on there some of them of which you may know kim kardashian is one of them chris jenner megan gale delta goodrum jennifer hawkins my absolute favorite woman in the universe julian anderson carrie bickmore the list goes on and on we've got Katy perry as well in there so um an absolute icon celebrities love him we love him he's incredible and we have him on the show to ask him a series of questions uh, about the journey he's had in his career and what his life is looking like and some words of advice really for um, us budding creatives. Uh, I've, I really enjoyed this conversation um, for the way it described the role of fashion in society and how important fashion is as a way to represent ourselves and kind of bring us to our heightened sense of self. Um, that was a really cool discussion. We've, we've actually just recorded the episode uh, with the interview with Paul and we really, really loved it. So we hope you love it too. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Um, Let's just jump straight into, I guess, your formative experiences from childhood. (laughs) What are some of the memories or experiences from your childhood that you think may have contributed to the person you are today? Um, I think I had a very fun, incredible childhood. I always think how lucky, and my friends and I always talk about how lucky we were because we grew up on like Ramsey Street pretty much (laughs) and you know all of a lot of my best friends that are still my best friends today are people that I grew up with in my street Mm. Um, and you know every day used to just be this you know play and adventure and getting to spend each day with your best friends was just incredible and we would dream up these amazing scenarios and watch Disney together and um, also you know my, my parents are incredible people so um being influenced by them a lot mm. and my grandparents and my brothers so Do your um, family all live close by too relatively yeah, yeah. so we we're you know we're all pretty close knit mm. so you know there was a lot of just like really wonderful childhood memories growing up and you know i would my nonna would look after me when mum went back to work and uh, she sewed, so I was always around her sewing. And I, I guess I really loved this idea of creating something out of nothing. Mm. And so she would give me scrap pieces of fabric and I would play with them and make make something out of them. And I would go into dad's shed and I would get scrap pieces of wood to make a mannequin. Make your then, own mannequins. Yeah. <laughs> that was really elite. That was really <laughs> DIY. Look, they, they were, it was like a... 
uh, a paper plate for a head. Oh, cute. Stunning. And yes. um, a, a plank of wood for the torso. Nice. And another plank of wood for the arms. So they weren't, you know. <laughs> so resourceful. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they worked for the time mm. and, you know, problem solving. Mm. Uh, you know, I worked out that you need closures in an outfit because if you sew them to the mannequin and they can't get them off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, that. Top it, tips. I think, you know, and that was as early as three, four years old. So wow. I was learning wow. about trial and error and experimenting mm-hmm. with all of that sort of thing. And, you know, I would make dresses out of wrapping paper and newspaper for my friends. And, mm. you know, we would just play and imagine and dream and, and had this just really wonderful time and we talk about it all the time how lucky we were to to have that as our childhood Mm -hmm. because it really was a a dream childhood I feel very fortunate Mm. this kind of goes um alongside that question um how important is it to have a support system around you when you're trying to reach your goals huge I mean I look I again I think I'm very fortunate very lucky that I've had all the support around me I don't know where I would be without that because everyone in my life has really allowed me to just follow my dreams and they've kind of been the ones that have always pushed me forward and and, and made me want to do better and be better. Mm. So I think because of my parents, my friends, their parents, my grandparents, my teachers, they've, I think everyone has seen that that intense passion that I have Mm. for whatever it was I was doing. I mean, at age five, I wasn't saying I was going to be a fashion designer because I didn't know what that was. But I think they gave me the space to just, just create yeah. and explore and, and and do the things and talk about the things that I want, you know, that entertain my rambling about, you know, Disney and whatever else I wanted to talk about Yeah, because I had such a passion mm. for it. You've mentioned Disney a couple of times. I feel yeah. like it's a recurring. <laughs> it is, yeah. is it, has it been Disney a recurring Disney are probably sick motif? of me mentioning Disney. <laughs> <laughs> They're not giving you roles. Surely, surely sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of role has Disney played in your life? Well, I mean, I think it's huge because I still today watch those films and there's still that sense of wonderment and inspiration for me because I think growing up on them, really I, I I think identified with a lot of the characters in that these were mm. simple people or simple characters that had a dream and went upon a journey to achieve that dream. And I feel like I have been on a, not the same journey as any of them really <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's a very different uh, reality versus fairy tale. But, you know, the values mm. that they put forward um, are something that I really strive to live by and carry out in my daily life. And so I think that there's just such a great message in mm. a lot of those films and a lot of those stories and characters mm. um, because it is about holding on to your dreams and, and pushing forward and, you know, when things get really tough, if you just stay true to who you are mm. and stay true to your dreams, they can come true. So mm. I think that's why it's such a huge thing for me. And, um, you know, I, again, I feel very lucky that, each and every day I get to go to work. You know, some days are harder than others. It's not always a fairy tale. A fairy tale is not always easy, <laughs> but I get to go and live my dream each and every day. Mm. So, and it's because I guess I've had that grounding that when things are tough, it reminds me of that. And I also have the support around me of mm. people that want to see me succeed and and have done moved heaven and earth to to allow that to mm, happen. That's awesome. 
Mm. I have to ask what your favorite Disney movie is. Sleeping Beauty. Okay. Yeah. Why? Number of reasons. So I wanted to be, as a child, wanted to be an animator because I thought that was a job. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that was a job that people did. If you ask anyone that's into animation, they'll tell you that Sleeping Beauty is like one of the greatest masterpieces ever. Interesting. Because it's, it is the most detailed hand animated full length feature film to date. Mm. And it was done in 1950. Wow, it's pretty okay. impressive. So, We're watching um, that tonight. Yeah, we definitely are. <laughs> Homework. <laughs> so it's 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 just an incredible um, the artistry, the music, the voice acting. Other than like the technical aspect of the film, is there content to the story that you particularly love as well? I think the way that they have adapted it and retold it is really beautiful, and the way that they adapted the score by Tchaikovsky. So they took his ballet and reinterpreted the music mm. for film. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is just a really mm, incredible Yeah, thing. I did not they, know they, that. They recorded right. it in state of the art. In, I think they recorded it in Germany. So, you know, for its time, it's just state of the art mm. creation. The, um, the, the work in the animation is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, each background, I think, took two weeks to paint. Whoa. So there's just so much detail. detail. Oh. If, you, if you freeze frame any part of that film you could you know take that and hang it on a wall it is just each each shot is so beautiful and detail seems to be like a a really important aspect of your work as well like I've from from my reading (laughs) and my homework I have a lot of people and articles reference just the detail orientated way you work and your team works do you think that Disney or like what do you think I think that's multiple things I think upbringing like my mum is very much attention to detail Mm. my nonna is the same my dad they're all um I think dad has a very he's a a chemist but he has a like an engineer's brain I think he's very good at problem solving and you know he's built most of my sets for when we have runway really? shows and things. What a and legend. My brothers are the same. And mum is a microbiologist, but she is also great at drawing and just has that real it's like scientific aspect yeah. of detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. creative, like both sides of the brain yeah. for yeah. both of your parents. Mm. So it, it, it's quite interesting. And like, you know, when we have a show, mum will take two weeks off of work and she'll come help. Wow. And, and hand sew for us. So both I- of them, you know, do all that they can to, yeah. to help but it's yeah I think all of those influences and seeing the way that their brain works I find really mm. interesting because there's never a problem without a solution yes yeah, so we've talked about Disney and I guess that influence in your life but what um what actually attracted you to the fashion industry itself seeing my nonna like you know making clothes um I was really fascinated by the transformative aspect of fashion and how creating a garment really can change your outlook, can change how you feel, can change the way you stand or all mm. of those things. And you're kind of, it can make you your most heightened version of yourself. Mm, and nice. I, I really love that. And I think, you know, the first proper dress I made was for one of my best friends at age 11. Mm. And I think that idea of taking like, you know, we're just regular kids having fun mm. and it's almost like dressing up. But seeing that and seeing client or the person, whoever you're creating a, a garment for, put it on for the first time, the way that they smile mm, is yeah. such a um, 
it's a wonderful feeling and that's what I get to do mm. each day, every day and mm. I get to see that and it doesn't get old. And, you know, so I started making dresses for friends and even then I didn't know that it was a career path. It wasn't until probably I was around 13 years old, 14 years old when I kind of started discovering fashion designers mm. and learning like Versace was mm. and Dolce & Gabbana and Christian Dior and Chanel and like started researching and learning about fashion designers. Mm. Well, yeah, all of us have like so much fashion, so much different styles, so many designers and models and people in the, in the industry at our fingertips, but you would have kind of had to sort that, seek it, that out. This was out. before the internet, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you are what, amazing. This was, this was when computers came into, you know, the home. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you are so resourceful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make me feel real. No, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, so I had to go to libraries. <laughs> you could, I guess, were you allowed to like cut out those no, images? No, <laughs> no. Like I would go to the dentist and my mum would ask if we could keep the Vogue's oh, that were there. That's Love a special that. moment. Yeah. So Make the dentist They fun. would have had no idea what they were about to create. <gasps> <laughs> They're about to contribute to. The, the next question we have is um, probably, it might be hard to answer, I'm not sure, but what was your biggest moment when you were like, this is, this is it for me, I'm doing the thing that I was meant to do? I think very early on, like age 11, when I made that first dress, that's when I knew that that's wow. what I would be doing. Mm -hmm. And I started talking about my brand and what it would be called and you know, Paolo Sebastian. Um, what, because, what is the meaning behind that? Well, um, so my full name is Paul Sebastian Vasilev. And I was like, it doesn't sound right when people say, you know, you call someone, you, you call your friend on the phone and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just at Paul Vasilev. But it doesn't have the right name. <laughs> yeah. so you were thinking it about was, the oh, I'm, I'm at Paolo <laughs> Sebastian. Yeah. And mm. It's like, oh, that, that sounds. Mm -hmm. Checks out. Yeah. That <laughs> sounds better. Mm. And, um, you know, we played around with, and this is a 12-year-old kid, by yeah. the way. That are talking about this <laughs> um, and it was like you know oh, I'm at Paul Sebastian I'm at Paolo Sebastian I'm at Paul Sebastiano like it was we played yeah, around some, with yeah. it a lot I mean Sebastian is a family name and uh, my grandfather was Paul so I'm, I'm named after my grandfather but I always thought Paul was very like plain mm. so we just put a Paolo and I'm, I'm Italian so mm. it, it, it makes sense to yeah. do and yeah that's how it wow. came about and the logo the original logo was actually a year 11 school design project yeah. and no I way. just printed out all different versions of the logo and I took it around the school and got everyone to do a survey as <gasps> to which one they liked. And Fantastic. Oh, that's so Resourceful <laughs> again. I mean, and we only just updated the logo like two years ago. Stop. <laughs> that, that's, that's amazing. With that, with such a, um, with Paolo Sebastian being literally part of your life for such an ex extremely large percentage of your whole life. It's half, half my life. Yeah. yeah. Do you like find it hard to kind of disconnect your identity from Paolo Sebastian? Yes, it can be hard. It can be very hard because it is so much of who I am. And, uh, you know, it's actually, it's more than half my life because, you know, I started from age 11. Mm. So it's, it's, it's three quarters of my life. It can be hard to one switch off from work, but then also I guess sometimes people probably see me as, as a brand. Mm. And so I, I feel like I am constantly representing myself and my team, which I, I do happily. You know, mm. there's, there's no issues there. 
but um, it can sometimes be nice to just switch off and just be Paul. Do you, how do you value um, like privacy? What does privacy mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think I try and uh, I guess I set my own boundaries. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in being professional. It's, it's part of who I am. And I just, I guess, knowing what is appropriate for me to do and discuss versus what isn't. So, yeah. you know, like my, my family, I will always have a bit of a limit as to how much I will mention because, you know, they didn't choose to be in the spotlight. So I think people probably don't realise the, the impact that sometimes it can have on – it's not a normal thing to have mm. your life in, in the public eye all the time. So um, for my family, close friends, my partner, you know, she didn't, she definitely didn't choose to be um, in the spotlight. So um, I just kind of set some limits as to what, how involved they are in, mm-hmm. in the publicity side of things, that the outward show of, of, yeah. of it, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, you know, they're always behind the scenes and that, I think they're happier being there, to be honest. Like my mum... We've tried to get her to sit front row so many times at the shows and she just, she hates it. She loves being backstage because that's where she feels comfortable. And to be honest, that's where I feel more comfortable as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I much prefer being back of house than front of house, although I need to be. I like that. Obviously you started Palo Sebastian wanting to create dresses and gowns and now you would wear so many other hats as well, being like a business like. Yeah. founder and head designer and all of that and managing people how much of your time is actually spent physically making dresses and how much is spent just managing this this I guess profile of Paolo Sebastian I mean look every day is so different and I think that's probably one of the hardest things of my job at at the moment is because as as we grow I am wearing all those different hats and it's it's not just one day I'm doing I'm a designer and the next day I'm a manager. It's like this second I am a designer, <laughs> yeah. And then I'll get you know pulled aside and and I need to wear my manager hat and then mm. I need to wear my HR hat and then I need to wear my entrepreneur hat, yeah. All within like 15 minutes, mm. and so that can be very um, it can it can be a lot exhausting. So um, you know just knowing how to kind of transition into those different roles mm-hmm. um, has been a, a real learning curve mm. for me. And I feel like I'm somewhat getting the hang of it. But um, I think the, the hardest one to transition in and out of is the creativity because mm-hmm. when you're trying to create something and be creative, you want to just be just in that space. And that doesn't always go hand in hand with being organised. Right, yes. Okay, because so, you can't really choose when, yeah. when the juices are flowing. No, exactly, because <laughs> it can come on and um, I might be my most creative on a day that I really need to, you know, Do finance. get finances or business side of things or, you know, have meetings with accountants and lawyers. That's not the day to be creative. But it's frustrating. <laughs> it's, it's just what the brain wants to do. So mm-hmm. it's definitely been a big learning curve. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you are most creative in your own space by yourself or with other people around you? I think it's a bit of both. I think probably when I get the most work done is at nighttime when everyone else has gone home and I'm left by myself at work. I find I can get a week's worth of work done in mm, nice. yeah, a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds manic. Sometimes. Um, no, but it's just when it starts up, you just, you're on a roll and you just can, mm. can go. 
Um, whereas sometimes I might be, you know, working on one problem for a week and it's just not coming to me. Mm. And then all of a sudden it just, everything falls into place. And it's just, that it's hard, very hard to describe, mm. but when it comes together, it's nice. <laughs> you can recognize it. What are your favorite and your least favorite parts of being a designer? I think my favorite part is seeing a sketch transition from, you know, a 2D thing to reality and seeing that vision being realized and also seeing the the garment being worn because um, it and generally it's being created for someone because we're, we're talking about couture most of the time so seeing them in it that transformative effect is is really probably my favorite thing I don't know if I have a least favorite that's that's an answer in itself yeah is that okay because <laughs> yeah. yeah there's not something don't that try I and force say. a least yeah yeah, right. <laughs> no, yeah there's nothing answer. that I hate about it to be honest <laughs> <laughs> <It's really great. laughs> and that's that on the dream job yeah most of your designs are cut like commissioned pieces yeah well because what at Paolo Sebastian what we do is couture so couture is basically garments that are handmade for a client mm-hmm. to order so we do a see like a each season we do a collection and that is I guess to inspire clients um to see what we can do what we're mm-hmm. capable of doing and I mean they might order from that collection or they might you know, they might say, I love that top and that mm. skirt. You know, maybe they just want the embroidery. Maybe they want nothing out of the collection. Now. You know, yeah. it's, it's always different, but that's always a starting point. I guess the, the thing I love about collection is it's a chance for me to put my vision across mm-hmm. for the season. Yeah, of course. Do you, um, do you ever go to your client? Are they often wedding dresses? Um, It varies, but okay. yeah, we do do a lot of bridal mm-hmm. clients because I mean, that's, the occasion where you would wear a gown most of the time. Yeah. Do you ever go to the weddings or the events and see yeah, I've the been to gown quite a few. in, yeah, and in it's, its full it's, glory? It's amazing. Uh, my favourite is seeing them uh, when it's a bride, uh, seeing them walk down the aisle. Mm. It's that moment because no one has seen them at that point. Mm. And that's a really proud moment for myself and for the team because I know how much, it, you know, it's not just me. It's an army of people mm. <laughs> that are creating these pieces. They they are all just so talented and they're all so proud of the work that they do. Yeah. So, yeah, seeing these – because they're, they're, but when they're worn on such a special day, they're more than just fabric. Mm. They become sure. these heirloom pieces yeah. uh, that people hopefully love and cherish for the rest of their lives. So knowing that you're creating something mm. so special and so unique for someone is, is a really wonderful feeling. Mm. Have you ever shed a tear at a wedding? I'm not a big crier, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to lie and say that I have. But <laughs> actually, no, I lie. Oh, I did once. Okay. My, one of my best friend's weddings. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. Was that because like, they looked so beautiful? Or was I it think it was, all, it was all really beautiful. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's someone that I've been friends with since three years old. Mm. So, oh, you know, beautiful. we had a lot of history together. Mm. What are your thoughts on the ceremony and the tradition around weddings and where your work fits into that? I mean, look, I think especially now weddings, they've changed so much. Um, they're a lot freer. And I think everyone is just doing, maybe even since COVID, I think people were just doing what feels mm-hmm. right for them, which is great. Because if, you want, if you're a very traditional person, then great, do it all. And then if some of those traditions don't feel right, don't work for you, you don't have to do them. You do a um, hybrid model. <laughs> yeah. And so I think every it's up really so up to the individual. I think I think the ceremony particularly is such a personal thing because it's really about 
if you're religious, it's really about that or your spirituality or it's just about, you know, what I say to everyone, the most important thing of the whole day is the fact that you get down the end of that aisle and that you and your fiancé are there and get to spend that special moment together. Yeah. That nothing, aside from that, nothing else really matters. So I think whatever makes that more special for you is is important. Um, but in terms of where we fit into that, you know, again, it's, it's a garment that is worn on one of the most special days of your life. And it's something that hopefully does become a family heirloom one day. And you look back on these photos in 20, 30 years time and you're still in love with them and still makes you smile and you remember wearing it and what it felt like and how good you felt in it. And if we can create that for someone, that's, you know, I feel like I've done my job. Mm. Well, you're, wedding is coming up yes (laughs) so you've been in this wedding space for so long and now your day is coming with Mm. the person you love how does that make you feel it's very different being on the other side of it Mm. has it given you an insight into what your clients have yeah i actually you know what i it has changed the way that i have um, run some of my consults mm. a little bit just because it's made me think of different things. So that's been helpful. Mm. And even just having, you know, being able to relate to them the <laughs> a bit more. Not so, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not stressed um, and Anna hasn't been stressed either. We've been pretty relaxed about everything because we're just happy to be able to get married. And, you know, it, I think we feel very privileged that we're able to do it, especially having so many of our friends gone through COVID doing it. We feel very lucky that it's just a bit more of a mm. easy process. Mm. And there's I think we both got the attitude of there's always a solution. Yeah. So if something's kind of not working or it's not meant to be that way and yeah. we'll find another solution to make that vision come to life. But yeah, it's definitely made me see things from a, another perspective. And there's things that, you know, because I've never had to plan a wedding before, I've planned multiple events, runway shows and and things for fashion festival, fashion week, all of that. But, yeah, there's a lot of detail in – and I'm, as you said, I'm a very detail-oriented person. So there's a lot of details in in planning a wedding. What's she going to be wearing? And what that's, are you going to be wearing a also? That's secret. I can't oh. divulge that yet. <laughs> Is it something that you've designed? Yeah, Or are of you course. allowed to divulge that? Yeah, yes. of course. I mean yeah. – it would getting, be weird. We're not, getting one, we're not getting anyone else to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that, I believe. But that, is that, was that a very stressful commission? Because it was for someone you're so... No, it was just more about... I think the more pressure has been coming from the outside, mm. uh, to Like be people like me saying, is it stressful? <laughs> no, no, it, it's more just like everyone is asking, like, can't wait to see Anna's dress. Yeah. And I'm like, great, cool. cool. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and so they and they're like, oh, it's not long now, you know. So it's just, um, I think that is more hearing that when you when you hear something like over a hundred times, mm. it starts to <laughs> build <laughs> up a little way. bit. <laughs> it starts to build up a little bit mm. um, in terms of like the pressure building. Mm. But I feel the same way when we put on a collection or mm. put on a runway show. It's just I'm putting a piece of myself out there, and you just hope that it looks good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that you have you had this goal and you've achieved it you have become a fashion designer <laughs> what do you feel like do you have what I think most people would assume that when they reach their goals they would would reach a sense of 
fulfillment, like deep, I've done the thing that I set out to do. What do you feel like given your goal and your experience to get here? So I don't think I've even reached an eighth or sixteenth of what is left to still do Mm -hmm. um, as part of Paolo Sebastian. So I don't have, I don't feel like I've reached that goal yet because there's still a long way as to what I have envisaged for the brand and for my future. But having said that, I have experienced more things than most people get to in like five lifetimes. So I consider myself very lucky, very fortunate and more than anything, aside from achieving those things or reaching those goals, has been the journey and the people that have been there along the way mm-hmm. in order for that to happen. Because as I said, I'm, I'm one person. Um, it's not just my goal. There's lots of people who have that goal in, in mind and have helped. So I feel very, I'm very aware of how fortunate I am to have these experiences like Australian of the Year, like working with Disney, like showing in Paris, like, uh, you know, the shows that we've done for Adelaide Fashion Festival, building a team, seeing our dress on the Oscars red carpet. These are all things that I dreamed that I would one day do. And when it comes about, it's kind of like it doesn't feel real. Mm. It's kind of like watching it happen to someone. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know, I really know how to describe it, but it you look back and you're like, wow, that, that happened. But at the time, as it's happening to you, you're just kind of going through through it and it, it, it's like watching a movie mm. almost. And also almost like on autopilot, this is your yeah. job. Like, like you, how, you how have did to... it feel for you, Australian of the Year? Well, that that's what I was likening when you said that. Um, I was, I guess, trying to relate that to my experience in a small way but like yeah when my name was called it was completely unexpected and it really felt yeah I I look back on it and it felt different at the time like it felt for me because similar I I was representing Taboo like I wasn't Mm. there representing like Izzy Marshall like I was there I had a job to do I had a message to get out there and um I was representing our team or my Mm co-founder foremost my team and then our um our whole community of people that had backed us but also people that we were aiming to I guess reach through our mission Mm -hmm. and for that reason you're very much you don't feel alone on the stage or anything and then it also you're also kind of on autopilot because I got this job to do like this is my role now and that speech that wonderful speech (laughs) (laughs) I did watch yours a couple days ago (laughs) that was my yeah I mean that was probably the first big speech I've ever had to do but I'm sure you've done a lot more Oh, that was uh, definitely the biggest I've done. But um, so you never think you're going to do it. You just don't. No. Like it, they don't tell you. They don't, don't warn you. But um, with that, within that year, what were your like main messages you were trying to get out there? I think the biggest one was following your dreams. And because I was told from a very young age from a lot of people that my dreams were unrealistic and that I shouldn't even bother trying doing any of it thank god i didn't listen to those mm. people because uh, i did it i yeah. did every single one of them yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, as i said there's still a few, quite a bit to do but you know everything that i talked about doing i've been able to do mm. not that i talked about being a young australian of the year that yeah. was never on my radar and even as it happened to me i still really struggled with the idea of 
why I was there. Yeah. Because as you know, there's like you the most so incredible cool people. people. Mm. And I had that real imposter syndrome mm. going into it. Like, what am I doing here? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember, <laughs> you know, chatting to my parents about me and my mum was kind of preparing me for, you know, if you don't win or if you're not, if, you're not awarded it don't feel bad and mm. I think she was trying to mentally prepare me I was like don't be stupid you think they're going to call my name yeah like, I'm not worried at all I'm just nervous about being here and uh, yeah I, I, no just, it just <laughs> I was just like no it's out and of the then realm. they then they said my name and she looked at me like, and dad oh. looked at me and you can see it on the video they're just they're both in shock yeah. um and I love watching it because I remember what it was like sitting there and both of their faces and my mum is very much like me she's not an emotional person but they were both I think both really just shocked and yeah proud be, and excited, it would be weird being a parent in that situation yeah you could be like we made that but even all my friends were watching at home and that like have since said you know they're like what through their chips and stuff (laughs) you know like because yeah it's just it is surreal it's unreal yeah yeah it is weird because you don't expect that to happen to someone you know Mm. what are your thoughts on fast fashion i think it's fast fashion is the opposite of what we do Mm. couture so I I understand it and I understand how it is developed and it is such a part of our everyday life. Obviously, it's not something that I am in love with because we, with Couture, we're very much about, you know, zero waste pretty much because mm-hmm. we're only creating what's ordered um, and it's about craftsmanship and time spent and, and all of that. Having th- like no disrespect to any fast fashion designers or anything brands that do that they have their place obviously as we do but what fast fashion means for the environment you know fashion the fashion industry is one of the biggest contributors to landfill and a lot of that is fast fashion and that's really um a concern of mine and uh, and it is for a lot of people and also i think my biggest concern is the um ethics because I know what it takes to so you know when I was starting out I was making my own t-shirts and things so I know what it how long it takes Mm. to make a t-shirt what it costs to make a t-shirt so when you go somewhere and there's a t-shirt for five dollars I understand there's production lines and and things can be done quicker but at some point someone's missing out somewhere and it's usually the person behind the sewing machine Mm -hmm. so um yeah, that that's probably my main concern. Yeah, regarding that, I think lots of people share that concern. And I think the the, the biggest misconception that a lot of people have is that the clothes that we buy, I, they just appear um, or they come out of a machine. And yeah. I remember someone saying to me when I was starting out, like, "Oh, it would be so great when you can finally get one of those machines that make the clothes." I was like, "You mean <laughs> a sewing machine?" <laughs> and they're no, like, "No, they no, 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 it. a machine." And I think a lot of people don't realise that there is a person sitting behind a sewing machine putting your sleeve together and putting it in the the sleeve, the armhole and Mm -hmm. and putting a collar on and every stitch. It's not a robot. It's not a robot. You mentioned before 
having a show in Paris and I know you've done some work in other cities. I've got two questions for you. Um, one is how you think different cities inspire different fashion and styles and kind of what role cities play in fashion and also why you chose to stay in Adelaide because I'm sure you could probably go wherever you want at this point. Well, so I studied in Milan. So I was living there when I was studying and I, as I said, I've, have, I've got a very strong support network here. So even before leaving for Italy, I didn't want to go because I didn't want to leave everyone behind Mm -hmm. but I knew I had to go and I went and it was the best thing that I ever did because it got me out of my bubble a little bit and made me it opened up my eyes to the world I think and I got to travel and you know I had to live by myself and take care of myself and I was 19 at the time so Mm -hmm. it was a real eye-opener but for all the wonderful experience that I had that like my work got shown in London Fashion Week while I was there at 19 that would have been so (laughs) crazy yeah it was Pretty cool. Uh, so I got flown over to London Fashion Week for that show and I was sat next to Zandra Rhodes and got to go to dinner with Zandra Rhodes, who was a very famous designer from the 1960s. And, you know, like um, amazing, surreal experiences. But I didn't have all my friends and family around me that I was so used to having. So I knew that if I was to follow this career path, I wanted to do it my way and do it from Adelaide. So that's why we've stayed here. And, you know, fortunately, things like s- Skype, now Zoom, planes and you know, things like that have mm. made it easier for, and the internet have made it easier to, to work remotely and COVID has definitely taught us that. But I, I think that my place is here and I'm really proud that we've been able to do it here and maintain a craft in, in Adelaide. And, you know, when we go over to, to Paris, it's really we're also – my team and I are so proud because when we get there, people are like, I had no idea that – Australia was producing this kind of this level of work. Yes, like, yeah, we, we are. Australia. And that's awesome. So, and not just Australia, but Adelaide. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's a really wonderful mm. feeling. And what kind of feeling cities give? I mean, you know, you've got New York, Milan, Tokyo, Paris, London. They all have such a different feeling. Mm. Paris, for me, I mean, Paris is the home of couture, so that's naturally where I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, for me, when I go there, it's like walking around in a 1950s black and white film. Mm. Um, That's how I see Paris and that's how I think of Paris as well. With a soundtrack in the background. Definitely like a jazzy kind of. Yeah, 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 of course. (laughs) And if it's not playing in the background, I've got it on my phone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they each have each of those cities and fashion weeks have a different feel and different vibe to them. And they're all, I mean, I can't pick, they're all amazing, but. Paris is obviously for couture. It's, mm. it's the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was a nanny in Paris for a few months. Really? I loved oh. it. I'm obsessed. Were you in like the city centre? Yeah. On, wow. It was like the um, street closest. Actually, I should have told you this, but um, my host dad was one of the um, directors of Dior, but not the fashion bit, like the marketing bit. You tell me this now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was they would go to the Paris Fashion Weeks and then, well, the shows, and they'd be like Bella Hadid down there, and I'd be like up in their apartment looking after the boys, looking out the window, looking out the window. <laughs> yeah, because like well, the, the Eiffel Tower was like right there, and they'd have mm. these runways on like on the Champs de Mars and all that. And I would like be you know feeding the boys and stuff, and then um they'd come back early 
because the, the wife was Australian and they didn't really like all the glitz and glamour of it all. So they'd come back early and watch Kath and Kim <laughs> before like before the show even finished. <laughs> Be like, you guys are so down to earth. You're hilarious. Um, we have some little finishes for people who want to be you when they grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is a piece of advice you wish you were given before you ever needed it? I I say this to anyone that is wanting to follow really any career and it's not an easy one to follow, but try your utmost to be the very, put your very best version of yourself forward. As hard as it is each day, try a little bit harder than you did the day before. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't always reach that goal, but mm. it's a good goal to kind of – it keeps me moving forward mm. to try that little bit harder. And What do you do on those better. days that, like, your mindset just really struggles to let you do that? You just do your best. Yeah. The best that you can do that day because mm. not every day – you can't always be at 100% every day or 110% every yeah. day. But if you know that you tried your hardest – that's all you can, mm. you can only do what you can do really and yeah not be too hard on yourself I think a lot of people really um and I'm guilty of it as well I'm really hard on myself because I really want to do a good job mm. and um I'm really proud of my work so I um I'm always over analyzing and overthinking and trying to push mm. myself so I think you know just be being kind to yourself one but also at the, you know you don't want to be you don't want to go the other way and be um, complacent. Mm. So it's just finding that balance. And I think at 32 years of age, I'm still – there's something I'm still working on. I think it's a lesson that I learned in year eight was when I, I handed up an assignment and I disappointed my teacher because they knew that I could do better and they said, like, I think you could have done better with this. And it cut me. Yeah. It really did. And from that day on, I was like, well, I'm always going to try to do that little bit better Mm. and that has something that has carried through not only like my schoolwork because there were definitely subjects that I didn't need to do but I did them for myself Mm -hmm. and for my teachers Mm. and that has carried through in my work Mm -hmm. as well. Mm. Have you had the chance to tell that teacher Mm. that they made such an impact on you? Uh, Yeah, they know. They know? (laughs) Senora Kofora, she's listening. She (laughs) she hears it all the time. She sounds like a queen. We we chat. (laughs) Very frequently. Um, so. I'm dying to know how on a on a good day where a day you've got to get stuff done. How many coffees will you have in a day? Oh, so this might surprise you. I only started drinking coffee last year. No. And you lived in Milan. Don't. I had one. I, I didn't really like coffee, and I was worried that I was going to get addicted. So I, I never. Did you get addicted in Milan? No. 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 Now. Uh, now. You yeah, because Anna, she made me. She makes me have it. Well, it started she out because we would have a morning <laughs> coffee together. Because I, I would never amazing. have one. And <laughs> Forcing you to drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew that I would be, I'm very, um, I was worried that I'd be bouncing off the walls. Because back in the day, I've become a bit more desensitised to the coffee now. So it just gives me enough energy, but it, mm. I'm not bouncing off the walls. Whereas when I used to have coffee, because it was so infrequent, it would be. It would last me all day, and I'll be, you know, cutting fabric and <laughs> shaking no, from one no. coffee because I just wasn't used to the caffeine. Oh my gosh! Okay. So because I'm, I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't mm. do drugs. Um, I, I always drink. I don't even drink soft drink. I have water. Yeah. So, um, 
aside from the amount of sugar that I ingest from all the cake and ice cream that I like <laughs> and chocolate. So I thought that the coffee – so I've cut down on my sugar as a result. Mm. And But I was having coffee – short black with like two teaspoons oh. of sugar. Oh, no. <laughs> and then it was one and now it's none. none. It's still black okay. coffee. It's just a short black. Yeah, yeah, nice. Do you guys go out – do you like have a tradition of going out for coffee oh, together no, no, or do you just have it at home? That's too much. I agree. We'll go out for coffee, but I'm not ordering. Like I, the one in the morning is is plenty. Yeah, if I have two. So you're a one a day. Yeah. That's yeah. wild to me. That's really <laughs> impressive. I wonder if the fact you cut out a lot of other like sugars and or like just even like in general drinking and everything like that, that you have more natural energy. You're a heightened version of a human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed, I think after 30, is that's when I started having the, needing the coffee. Oh, so yeah. You meant 30 coffees a day. Yeah, just, no, no, wait. Oh, we have a problem. Just, just <laughs> wait, wait till you get to 30. Okay. <laughs> right. You'll see what I mean. But um, yeah, I mean, I try, because it is, um, it's a lot of, this job is a lot of pressure, I guess, mentally, physically. I try and look after myself as, mm. as much as I can, look after my body as much as I can because if the body's not working, then I can't do my job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I try not to overdo it mm. on the coffee but yes. probably could do a bit less on the sugar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need to take that advice as well. I have a sugar problem. I want to ask this last little question. For um, anyone who's interested in entering the fashion industry perhaps not even just as a fashion designer, really just wanting to be in that industry. What's the extent of the different roles in your team and what can people even, I think people just like kind of don't even know what's out there. Yeah, I mean, the fashion industry is huge. It's one of the biggest industries really because it, it encompasses so much. You've got, I mean, you don't just have designers, you've got design assistants, you've got pattern makers, production design, production assistants, um, production managers, you've got print designers, textile designers, seamstresses, you've got people in marketing, media, PR, photographers, models, um, shoe designers, accessory designers, um, people that manage luxury brands and, and work more in the business side of things but fashion-related Um yeah, there's uh, retail. Yeah, you know, there's there is so many facets to the to mm. the fashion industry. Um, you know, visual merchandising, buying, all, all, all of that kind of. You could really of, yeah it, come at such, it from any angle. It's such a huge industry. A lot of people don't yeah. realize. Realize, um, you know, you've got journalism. Yeah, there, there's so many uh, ways you can. Skin the cat. Yeah, 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 really. <laughs> I've not heard you say that analogy. Really? <laughs> I'm interested in it. One it's of the upsetting girls that works <laughs> I don't think I was really like nailed in terms of the context, but whatever. When you're not working, what do you, how do you like spending your time? Doing very normal things, really. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, you're a normal person. <laughs> traveling, going, I think going to the beach is my favorite thing and just hanging out with my friends and mm. my family. Adelaide's good for the beach. Yeah. yeah. Moved to Adelaide. Our fashion industry is getting better mm. with Paul here, and we have beaches. <laughs> we do. They're we have best. great beaches. We yeah. do. I think people don't realize how amazing it is. Yeah. Well, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. And for anyone who, I guess you don't know what day we're recording this, but it's what the middle of Fashion Week. Yes. It's, so, it's well, it's about fashion to start. Week. It's starting tomorrow night, kicking off. So this is like. I don't know, Christmas for Paul. (laughs) (laughs) What holiday would you liken it to? Christmas for retailers. Yeah, it's it's really, it's an exciting, there's a real buzz Mm. for the industry. 
because particularly because we had the Adelaide Fashion Festival, which was cancelled a couple of years ago. Yeah. So now to have something start up again is really, really exciting for the industry. Yeah. And yeah, you, you can you can just see it because you know I don't get to catch up with a lot of the designers outside of that because mm-hmm. we're all working. So it's a really good opportunity for us all to network and reconnect and meet the new and upcoming brands that are starting. Mm. So it, it's I love it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it creates uh, an amazing buzz for the city. Mm, definitely. Well, we're really grateful that you've um, taken a little bit of time out of that hectic schedule to talk mm. to us. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed listening to the Soft Pod episode with Paul Vasilev, which was an absolute honour and we really enjoyed it. I'm still nervous. I'm shaking in my cowgirl in boots. boots. <laughs> um, she is wearing cowgirl boots. <laughs> if you wanted to have a look at Paolo Sebastian, you can find them on Instagram and do your own little research. You will find some magical, magical content. Um, and if you have a Pinterest board of... Uh, you know, if you want to get married one day, you will absolutely find a lot of content to add to your board. I'm not sure if that's the right context for Pinterest because I don't use it that much. I can contest. It's correct. Concur? Mm-hmm. No, I can attest to the fact that it would fit on a number of Pinterest boards. Fantastic. Um, Izzy, I'm going to I'm gonna handball to you to do a little plug of our socialis. Mm. So if you want to find us on Instagram, we are at the soft pod. Uh, our email is... Um, consistently called the soft pod at gmail.com yes please email us we have tiktok as well we're gonna start using it yes. right we're gonna, up, you we're gonna up our socials game like mm-hmm. and, and i've been inspired by paul to be more creative so we should definitely heck do yeah that. all right well we'll see you guys on tiktok see you there bye